Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that. It's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a street smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hey there, it's Sarah Shaw here with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA, and I am here today with Cha-Cha Sun of Demiva. And Demiva is a leading women's health company developing and manufacturing natural products for menopause. Not my usual topics, but this is super interesting. You guys are going to love this. She's got two innovative, pioneering feminine hygiene products that are sold across Canada, and she's also making her U.S. debut starting this year. They're going to be stocked at top pharmacies across America, including CVS, Target, Long's Drugs, and they're being distributed by Cardinal Health. So welcome, Chacha. I'm so glad to talk to you about this. Thank you so much, Sarah, and thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited. So Chacha's going to talk to us just a really kind of little bit about how she developed her um, company and the two uh, innovative products that she has that are really helping women uh, deal with um, vaginal dryness and menopause and all the things that come with, you know, growing older. And, um, but then what I really want to talk to her about is how she got her investors. Um, she's kind of the, you know, the, the, the femme, you know, floating in there with all the guys and what that's like. And then also talking to her about how she found and started working with all these distributors that are getting her into all these, you know, major uh, stores across uh, Canada and the U.S. So, Chacha, let's just talk a little bit about how you got into your business, you know, um, what made you even want to start it, and kind of how you really grew it to the point where you felt like you could pick up the phone and start calling investors and, you know, and how, how you kind of got distributors interested in you. Sure. So it really actually did start as an idea and a PowerPoint. And well, I come from the pharmaceutical industry, just to give you a bit of background, most of my life has actually been spent in research and development and marketing in the pharmaceutical world. And so what happened was I was researching vaginal dryness associated with breast cancer. And at the time I was 43, I'm 47 now, and I didn't realize that vaginal dryness after breast cancer is permanent and that after menopause it's permanent. And I thought, wow, I really need to know about this more and this is you know, my business. And when I went on the pharmacy shelves, and I looked at everything there, I thought I wouldn't use any of these products because they have a lot of chemicals that I know are adverse to us over a long term. And so as a hobby, my partner and I, we invented and formulated a product. And I thought, well, you know, this would be eventually good for a lot of women in addition to myself. But, you know, my main reason for inventing it was that I, I wanted to use it. I wanted something safe and efficacious that I could use for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's how it all started, which was really as an idea, something that I wanted for myself. And uh, what happened, uh, which essentially became the growth of the company, was that I debuted it on uh, national TV in Canada via a business reality TV show called The Dragon's Den, which is the equivalent to the U.S. Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. And that must have been scary. <laughs> it was scary. It was my first time on TV, and I was talking about vaginal dryness. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, hi, my name is Chacha, and I have vaginal dryness. <laughs> It was crazy. It was just like, uh, it was really, um, I felt like I was being thrown into a tank of sharks. I bet. And, uh, but it worked out really well. And I had a lot of pharmacies calling me afterwards, just cold calling me, asking if they could buy the product. I didn't have a distributor. I didn't have anything at scale. I just had, you know, some product that I had manufactured. 
And so that really is how it started, which is that I, in many ways I got uh, incredible market validation right away. So I think the first step was that I, I, uh, you know, I did a, a sort of a major PR you know, um, you know, meeting essentially with the reality TV show. And then I had market validation with pharmacies calling me up saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. my customers saw you on TV and they would love to have this product. And then we and got... Did you, uh, did you, I want to just interrupt for a sec. Did you even yeah. have, like obviously you had packaging to show on the, sh- on the TV show on Dragon Den, but I mean, was that just like your one sample or did you actually have, you know a garage full of the stuff at this point, you know, or did, or did you have to kind of like the minute the stores started calling, you were just like, I got to get packaging and bust a move or how'd that work? (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. Um, (laughs) When we filmed that episode, we didn't even have anything close to prototype. So if you look at the samples that we had on the video, they were actually made in Madeline shells, <laughs> so, like mini, mini Madelines. So we, we actually had just poured the uh, combination into you know, little baking shells and made prototypes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, hey, whatever it takes, man. <laughs> so it was like something out of the kitchen, really. Yeah, yeah. So what did you guys do uh, when all these stores started calling and you're like, oh no, we got to get the real thing out there? So um, before, so when we filmed, we actually had a lead time of about six or seven months from the time of the filming to the time Mm. of the airing. Mm -hmm. And so in that time, we did manufacture a small batch and we manufactured it according to all of the standards that would be necessary for full-scale distribution. Okay. <laughs> so I was able to ship some pharmacies. Actually, the first pharmacy that called me, I said, oh, no, I can't sell to you. All right. And then like, <laughs> I kind of went back, and then I called up the pharmacist with whom I have a really great relationship now because he was my first buyer ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called him up like a couple of days later. I said, you know what? I don't know why I don't. I said I wouldn't sell to you. I sh- of course I should sell to you. I have some, you know, that I already manufactured. <laughs> and he's so probably I, like, I saw you on TV. I figured you had product. <laughs> no, right. And so I shipped to him directly, and then I had so much demand that I decided I should really get a distributor, and uh, and I was doing all of this after my day job. So, you know, so I would finish my day job at 4 p.m. I worked for a European company and I set my own hours. And so I would finish my day job at 4 p.m. and then I'd work on my hobby business, you know, from 4 to 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so eventually uh, I did get distribution with uh, McKesson, which is one of the top uh, distributors in Canada. Uh, just as Cardinal Health is uh, in uh, the U.S. And how did you even find these guys? Like, let's talk a little bit about... Okay, so I just want to recap. So basically, you go on Dragon Den with a totally pretend fake sample. <laughs> then, then you've got seven or eight months or something before it airs, and so you can, you know, be like, freak out and go, okay, we better make some of these things in case somebody actually wants to buy it. And then, of course, the minute it airs, everybody is calling you and wants to buy it from you. And then you decide, well, I better get a distributor if I really want to make something of this. So then what, what was the next step, right? Because you're like, I mean, you can't just go to distributors.com and find a list of all the people that you need. So how did, how did you go about finding distributors? I mean, obviously, first you looked in Canada because that's where you live. Um, mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so how, how did you even find McKesson and, you know, who would have, whoever else you're working with? So, um, so this is like one of the things that I think is really important as an entrepreneur, which is, um, you know, I, I certainly believe in karma and I certainly believe in, you know, positive energy. And so at that time, I was being actually cold called by a lot of people. 
um, after the Dragon's Den um, mm-hmm. airing. And, uh, and so, you know, and, and remember, it's, you know, I come from the pharmaceutical industry, very conservative, you know, very kind of measured and very long timeline. And, but all of a sudden I was just getting, you know, cold called left and right. Mm-hmm. And also the pharmacy distribution, retail pharmacy distribution business is really diff- different than the pharmaceutical business, you know, that I came from, which is much mm-hmm. more on R&D and institutional sales. And I had never sold directly to a customer, right? And, um, and so what happened was I actually returned pretty much every one of those cold calls. And, uh, and one of them was a broker, a sales broker. Mm. And I met with him, and uh, I didn't know anyone else in the retail pharmacy business. And he and I uh, had a great relationship, and he's like, you know, Chacha, I can get you in everywhere. I'm like, well, you know, I do have a full-time job. Like getting me in everywhere is actually, you know, kind of like, you know, something I'm thinking of eventually. But what happened was he did manage to get me in for sales meetings pretty much everywhere. Mm. With, with, directly with the pharmacy buyers? or with Directly with, yes, with either pharmacy buyers from the retail chain or, mm-hmm. in our case, McKesson as a distributor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was really critical because uh, within 15 months, uh, we launched in, uh, so we launched in Canada in 2014, and then within 15 months, we had full-scale distribution and sales into most of the pharmacy chains in Canada. Wow. And that was the time. So that was uh, 2014 to 2015, and uh, we launched in 2014. We got full-scale distribution by 2015, and then um, in the middle of 2015 was when uh, I quit my job. And decided I really have to make a go of this because you know we we're, we have an incredible opportunity. It's quite rare for both distributors and retail pharmacies to take on one product companies, and you know uh, we have a lot. You have a lot stacked against you if you're a one product mm-hmm. company. You're and meaning so like a one a one hit wonder, meaning you only have one, one thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, and so uh, at that point in 2015, in the middle of 2015 was when we started to plan for our uh, financing and also our uh, U.S. launch. Mm-hmm. And so we went out um, at the end of 2016 to do our financing. And before then, uh, in the summer of 2015, when I quit my job, I got uh, some seed investors. So I, I had a small group of you know, close uh, colleagues and friends who mm-hmm. had, uh, had essentially you know, um, helped me with a seed financing. So I did a small seed financing round. And, and then so when one you of our... Sm- Sorry, can go you, ahead. when you say small, do you mean like five and $10,000 each? Or you know, what, what kind of money you know, were they investing? Like, uh, like 50,000. 50,000, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I call that my angel round because yeah. they were my angel investors who really believe in the business and they came in the earliest. They, they you know, pump up my business every, you know, left and turn, left and right, every turn, like they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I see and work with them all the time. And so they're my angels. And then uh, after my angels uh, came on board, then we got uh, one of my angels referred me to some of his friends who run institutional funds. Mm, Okay. And so then we had actually just one day of meetings. (laughs) (laughs) And... And then uh, what happened was... Are these, are these all Canadian investors right now? They are. They're, they're okay. all Canadian investors, uh-huh. yes. And some of them are very uh, you know, prominent financiers 
you know, uh, some of them I've won, uh, who's one of the, you know, the best investment banker in Canada for 12 years running. He's on my board. We have the CEO of Cat 7 Capital, which is our institutional uh, fund that provided us with the seed financing. And so I have Ken Teslia, who's also the chairman of uh, Extreme Venture Partners. And then Mark Christensen is the CEO of Cat 7 And they're both incredible businessmen, incredible people. And, you know, and what happened was we had um, – a morning meeting with uh, with Mark, and then an after meeting with uh, afternoon meeting with Ken. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got to our afternoon meeting, because in the morning Mark was like, "Well, so who are you? Who are, else are you meeting with?" And we're like, "Well, we haven't really, you know, worked on this financing. We're meeting with Ken in the afternoon." And by the by the time I talked to Ken in the afternoon, Mark had already talked to him. <laughs> they, yes, and, both <laughs> and they and they're both like, "We're in." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, so they're, they're amazing, amazing people because um, honestly, this is a labor of love for both of them. So as, as a seed financing, you know, that's your very first, you know, sort of formal financing, mm-hmm. right? And they've both done so much work with me and with the company to ensure that we can grow and scale in a very big way. And they definitely spend a disproportionate of time with us, you know, for the amount of money that they've put in. And uh, that's because they believe in the mission and they really, you know, see the uh, impact already of what we're doing. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, so to have these, you know, fantastic men behind us is incredible. And then of course there's, my partner, uh, Gardner, who's my personal and business partner, and he's the president of the company. And, you know, he himself has always been a C-level executive in the biotech industry. And he quit his job in a huge vote of confidence, you know, to, he co-founded the company with me, you know, to essentially, you know, grow us to where we are mm-hmm. and keep on growing us. So, you know, I feel really privileged, you know, having uh, a network, uh, you know, around me of, um, you know, such, um, such talented people. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think, though, that for us, it was knock on wood, it was, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't very onerous, you know, Mm -hmm. finding investors. Yeah, it Uh, doesn't sound like it. But what's it like yeah. working with them? I mean, what's the, you know, like, what did you, when you first went there, like, did you guys do a business plan? Did you have a shareholders agreement? Did you guys, you know, how, what was kind of the paperwork trail that sort of got you there and so that you could, you know, feel comfortable with whatever percentage of the company you were giving up and what you were getting in return and all that? So um, by the time we went out for investment, we did have full-scale distribution in Canada. So we had done a, you know, a lot of the groundwork for revenues as well as market validation, as well as product validation. And, you know, and Gardner and I were doing this while we were working full-time. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely already um, pretty well baked or underway. And uh, and as for investment documents, um, we definitely did not have great investment documents. <laughs> we had, did, did they um, come up with it for you, or did you guys just kind of handshake the whole thing? Uh, we had one PowerPoint presentation, and we had a shareholders agreement, mm-hmm. and we had uh, you know distribution. Uh, forms and we had, you know, purchase orders you know, from mm-hmm. the chains, but we did not have a business plan. We did not Rock have, <laughs> yeah, we did not have. I would even say a great PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did not have an executive summary. We, you know, we didn't have audited financial statements. Mm-hmm. You know, we were very, <laughs> very quite early in all of that. Mm-hmm. What I think uh, 
did differentiate us is that Gardner and I are experienced business people in the pharmaceutical realm, and we mm-hmm. had structured a company in which we had a very clear and sensible division of labor. Right. You know, he does uh, manufacturing, intellectual pro- uh, property, product development, and um, general you know, administration, like a high-level strategy on operations. We have um, you know, financing, basically, um, as well. And then I do basically the sales and the marketing and PR. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and a great. So, I mean, it's really, it's so important to have such a clear delineation of who does what. I think so many people bring on business partners, and I know I was guilty of this years ago when I've, I mean, I've had so many different business partners in my life too, where you don't have this clear delineation of, you know, what your job list is and what my job list is, and it can get so convoluted and really, you know, turn out to be something scary, you know, just because, you know, if you're crossing the lines and you're not really sure if you're stepping on someone's toes or if, you know, who picked that up and who dropped the ball and, you know, the blame can start to get thrown around. So I really commend you guys on, you know, having that hard line of who does what because it's obviously working for you guys. And I think that, you know, just for people listening, it's just something really important to remember when you're, as you're building out your business. It really is. And um, it's also, uh, it also, so I think our focus wasn't so much on the financing as the execution of the, mm. of the business. And so that also came across and that also, you know, gave us some more leeway in terms of, you know, not having everything with the, you know, I's dotted and the T's crossed because, you know, we were busy doing the high-value work and not, you know, creating a, you know, sort of a house of cards business plan that just didn't have any execution bite behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I just think so many people get hung up on wanting everything to be perfect, you know, before they go out, and, mm-hmm. you know, to, to investors or to sales reps or distributors and thinking, you know, and it's like it really could be a napkin with, you know, your wholesale price on it minus distributor costs, you know, and the weight and the weight and dimensions of the box and how many units are in it. That's really all they need to know. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, everyone, people I think get so caught up in the, you know, executive business plan and, you know, everyone's going to want to see what we're, what we're, what we think we can do. And I said, well, I always say, well, that's the catch. A business plan, unless you actually have statistics to show is really just a pipe dream because you're showing them what you want to do with their money, not what you've already done with your own money or your own time in the past. Whereas it seems like because you guys already had so much distribution, you actually could say we've done, you know, we're in X number of stores, they order X number of times a year, we make X number of dollars and we're planning to, you know, we're breaking into the U.S. market and we're expanding here and there. And this is what we're projecting as the, revenue based on what we're already doing in Canada, you know, based on the number of stores Target has or the number of stores, you know, that CVS has, right? You can kind of guesstimate what the uh, revenue is going to be if they do a full rollout or a partial rollout or, you know, whatever the deal was. That's right. And so um, I would say that the first, you know, couple of years we learned about the business and learned about the market learned about how to sell to the market, learned about what the market needs were. And uh, then we made the leap of, uh, you know, of quitting our jobs and and then getting financing. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes people ask me, should I get financing and then quit my job? And um, I have a, a huge bias that you have to quit your job. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Be- because if you don't take that risk yourself and you're asking others to take their the risk on their hard-earned money, you know, right. uh, on you, then, um, you know, then um, that just doesn't, you know, that just doesn't sit as well. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's kind of, you know, it kind of goes into the put your money where your mouth is. And I think that even when you're <laughs> watching shows like Shark Tank, um, that's one of the things I always notice 
you know, they often will ask, how much money have you put into it? Do you have a full-time job? You know, is this your full-time job? You know, and how, how mm-hmm. much, to, just to gauge, because when investors invest in your company, they're actually really investing in you, the, the person That's right. behind the company. And, you know, obviously they take into consideration the product and, you know, whatever else you can share with them, but they're really investing in you as a person and, and knowing and hoping that you're going to continue to be the person that you represented, you know, as yourself to be in that pitch, right? And that you're going to be the hard worker and that you're going to work 10 times as hard as you even tell them you're going to do, you know, but it's so hard when people are like, well, you know, I still have my full-time job and I'm doing this at night and, you know, and I, I think that a lot, often businesses are started that way, right? I, I started my first business that way. You guys started this business that way. And then you get to the point where you're like, I got to sink or swim, right? I can always go get another job if it doesn't work out, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'll also mention, I think, you know, our, one of our secret weapons, <laughs> and that is, um, that is Justin Wu, who is, uh, was one of our uh, early angel investors and also a seed investor and also, you know, continues to help us on the business and the financing front. And, you know, he was the one who introduced us to Mark and Ken and Mm. uh, he has been incredibly supportive, um, has become a friend and an investor. And um, I think what, you know, what, um, what sometimes people are worried about is you know asking that friend or that colleague mm-hmm. for money that first mm-hmm. ask, and then the continual asks, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Justin has done way beyond his disproportionate share as an investor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and but you know he believes in the cause and the mission, and he has two daughters himself. He's a wonderful father and husband. And, you know, and I do believe that most of, you know, my investors, you know, are investing because, you know, they have something, they have a special woman in their life and they can understand the implications of what we're trying to do for the entire menopo- uh, population of menopausal women. Mm-hmm. Which is huge, right, in this country. Mm, it's mean? half of all women. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't remember who was half or three quarters. Yeah, so um, that's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a um, lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, sometimes, you know, I talk to female entrepreneurs who do ask me because, you know, most of my investor base is um, male, um, uh, although I do have a couple of female, um, you know, sort of small investor seed investors um, or angel investors. And um, what I think is important, though, especially if you're going to grow the company quickly um, with institutional capital, because uh, CAS 7 is uh, a a hybrid um, venture capital fund and merchant bank. And so they did do diligence according to institutional levels. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have everything complete, but of course we did have all the essential items. We had a shareholders agreement. You know, we had, you know, legal contracts. You know, we had Mm -hmm. um, financial statements and that sort of thing. So, um, so, but going back to that, um, you know, I think that what really is important, especially for very savvy investors, you know, who will grow with you is that your even if what you're doing is female oriented, that it's something that's relatable to them. Mm-hmm. And you might think that menopause is not relatable to a lot of men, but you'd be surprised at how relatable it is to men. And so, and I think the, you know, the goal, which is pretty audacious, you know, on our end is to be the menopausal brand. Mm-hmm. And, of course. you know, and those are, you know, basically three words that are very attractive to savvy investors, male mm-hmm. or female. 
Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the men that are investing, you know, when you say it's close to the heart for them too, is that really because of what you said before about them having a woman in their life or even having maybe they have daughters and they know that they're going to grow up and one day they're going to be menopausal? Um, it's not something that you can avoid at this point in, in the world, the way things are. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, right? <laughs> and there's no menopause pill and, or anti-menopause pill. And, um, and so, I mean, do you feel like it's because of those reasons that, that they're feeling kind of close to the vest about it and feeling like this is something that's really important to bring forth in the world and, you know, help make you guys, you know, put your company at the forefront of developing, you know, uh, products for menopausal women? Or, or, do you, or, is it, or do you think they're looking at it from that point of view only or from the point of view of that, you know, obviously mixed with they think they're going to make a lot of money on it and, or at least, you know, not lose their shirt on it, right? Um, but what, when you say that it's close to the vest for them, what do you, what do you mean exactly? So I think, um, I think our value proposition, our investment proposition isn't going to appeal to every man, mm-hmm. right? Um, and... So I think it has to be, you know, someone who does, you know, have, um, you know, kind of like a, a longer term sort of integrated view on, you know, on understanding why women's health is important. It's like, it's more of the why that I think that they are, um, you know, that is the door opener, right? Why is Demipa doing this? Why mm-hmm. is Chacha doing this? Why did Gardner quit his CEO job to do this? And, you know, and so the why is extremely important. And we don't, in business sometimes, you know, focus enough on the why. And, um, and I think for, you know, my current group of investors, definitely the why is extremely important, as well as the ROI, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, uh, and def- if you if you have a business proposition, you know maybe you may not be able to fully articulate how you're going to make money. But if you explain why you're addressing what you're addressing, then it's easier to connect the dots between that and how you're going to make money. Right. Okay. I get. What and. You're yeah, and so definitely if you're in business, you, you know, there's, you know, um, especially kind of in our generations that are raised as social entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ROI and the making money is a very equally important aspect. But, yeah. um, but I, I also believe in business that um, you can't necessarily always articulate, you know, exactly how you're going to make that money. Sure. Right. Right, but if you can know explain, you know, why you're a pioneer in the market, why you're going to invent a market, disrupt a market, and so forth, mm-hmm. then you know it's easier to connect the dots. Yeah. So let's talk about your expansion into the U.S. So with um, so is it Cardinal Health that's getting you into CVS and Target and Long's Drugs and all the other places yeah. here, or did you go direct to those places? We went direct, and mm-hmm. um, so I have a U.S. national sales manager, John mm-hmm. O'Malley, and he's been doing an awesome job. Um, before we hired John, I cold called a bunch of chains uh, in the U.S., and amazingly, uh, I would say the majority of them responded. <laughs> <laughs> So you just kind of cold called CVS and Target, or he got you into those? No. Um, so Target, we met at a trade show, mm-hmm. and CVS, we cold called. Wow. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> and so what? So what kind of? And so is he? He's he's obviously still on your team, um, John O'Malley. And yeah, he just um, started actually in um, and, in uh, December last year. And so what will he be doing for, your, for you guys? So he's managing essentially the expansion of our sales and distribution as uh-huh. well as obviously managing the existing chains that we had on board before he came on board. Got so it. it's always a process. 
Right. You know, and you need as many hands as you can get helping in the process to get to the finish line. And and what's it been like? So and are and going to CVS and Target. Are you working through their distributors, or are you shipping directly to them? We're shipping directly. So that's great. So you don't have to give a distributor discount to anybody for those. Not yeah, not for those chains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so working with Cardinal Health, which is a distributor, um, what kind of stores do they are they looking to put you into? So. Cardinal Health is a very complex organization, so it's like sort of an ongoing, um, you know, discussion. But um, let me explain a little bit about Cardinal. Um, this was a surprise because same sort of thing, actually. We, um, John actually um, reached out to the buyer who's a new buyer, and um, we were actually surprised that we, you know, got uh, a response and interest and eventually buy-in. Um, this early in our sales cycle. So usually for the big-time distributors, those, and that's Cardinal Health, Amerisource Bergen, and McKesson in our business, uh, you have to have uh, a pretty clear revenue stream of sales in the U.S. before they'll take mm-hmm. you on. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty early in our sales cycle. So we don't yet know exactly kind of how to, I'd say, like navigate and maximize that because mm. – um, as you know, usually you give a distributor margin, right? Right. Uh, but usually you're also doing that kind of later in your sales cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, you know what? If opportunity knocks, you know, you have to open the door. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that the buyer was so, you know, excited about the brand and what we're doing, you know, uh, means that we've essentially you know, taken them on as our distributor. So. Yeah. And, and working, I mean, most distributors take a 30% off of wholesale. Are you finding that that's pretty much what you're having to stick to as well? Every distributor is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it really, in the health space, it's actually much less. Mm, okay. Lucky yeah. you. So, yeah. <laughs> Lucky us, and that's part of the reason why they don't take on new brands. <laughs> right, I see. Because it's, 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 it's not cost-effective for them if they aren't, aren't getting the big orders, right? Like, I don't know if Cardinal Health normally deals with CVS or Target, but if you had come in and said to them, we'll give you CVS and Target, then they probably would jump more at the chance or something. Excuse me. Um, you know, these deals, it's, uh, you know, one thing I've learned is that um, the U.S. market is much uh, more diverse than the Canadian market. So um, in Canada, in our uh, deal with McKesson as our distributor, uh, it's pretty much a uniform, you know, sort of um, compensation across the whole um, country to them. And, um, you know, and um, in the U.S., it's actually quite different. Like every sort of deal is a different type of deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a little surprised at that, but, you know, it's just, it's part of my learning and, you know, part of what we're doing as we expand distribution and sales. Wow, you guys are just chugging along. It's so awesome to, to hear that. And you're such a new company, you know, relatively new. You're only a few years old. Um, and, and I know that you travel around and do, like you said, you, you do the, the PR and the you know, marketing and, and, and a lot of the sales for companies. So just, I just want you to tell people a little bit about kind of how you spend your time because um, I know you do events and you speak to groups of women and, you know, that there's a lot going on, you know, besides just looking at the money, right? You're not just waiting, you know, working with the investors or getting the distributors or waiting for it to roll out and target. You're actually out there hitting the pavement, talking to people, um, you know, and, and I just wanted to ask too if you guys do a lot of social media stuff as well as part of kind of part of your marketing package. Yeah, so um, so we um, I consider what we do often kind of like a living laboratory because um, the way that I look at it is that baby boomers are essentially the first generation of women to have the long life expectancy that we have. Mm-hmm. So 
baby boomers are a bit of the experiments <laughs> yeah. for women, right? So, um, you know, so women, especially women, um, you know, 55 and over, I'm in, um, I'm 47 turning 48, so I'm just a little younger in the Gen X segment. But um, I actually do believe that baby boomers and Gen X women, we have, we have two major responsibilities to our generation in the future. One is that we become the role models that actually pioneer and show women what it's like to age, uh, grow older, embrace it, be the women who we are. And that's yeah. very difficult when you don't have role models, right? right. We don't have role models you know, who are like, who are the amazing 80-year-old women out there, right? Who are the amazing, mm-hmm. you know, apart from Jane Fonda, who, right. you know, who is amazing, <laughs> but there's Jane Fonda, you know, and we don't have, you know, we don't have a lot of these role models. And in some many ways, we don't have these role models in our families either mm-hmm. because, um you know, they experienced menopause in the workforce or not the workforce or, you know, they, their life experiences are so different than ours. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we have a responsibility to be those role models and kind of, you know, dig in deep and kind of go, hey, you know, what have I been doing wrong? What did I do wrong all my life? Or, you know, what have, you know, how would I have, like, you know, made some changes along the way, you know, not, not necessarily regretting, but also, you know, just like adjusting. Like, so, you know, I'm not the sort of regretful type of person, but mm-hmm. I do have one regret in business, which is that I didn't focus more on uh, women's health and women's issues. Mm. You know, I, I really, I really think I could have done a better job of that. Um, and, uh, so I think we have a responsibility, and then I think we're also the experiments, right? So right. a lot of the studies are showing that women are becoming less happy over time, uh, and that in the 1970s, women were a lot happier than men, but in 2006, women are less happy as a baseline than men. And, you know, that's because in the last 40 years, things have changed so much for women, but not necessarily mm-hmm. contributed to their overall happiness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also Ooh. as we age, I know. Exactly. That is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is really sad. Right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. the other statistic that's really a little sad is that as we age, women, we get less happy and men get happier. Mm. So why is that? Right. Yeah. Right. And what, you know, what can we do to, you know, be these sort of experiments and the role models to show mm-hmm. women that you don't have to just, you know, start out less happy and then just get unhappier as we age. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny. I wonder if like, you know, for mom, like I, I know you're a mom and I'm a mom and, you know, like as you, you know, your kids grow up and leave, you know, they always say, you know, empty nesters takes a while to you know, readjust to your life and maybe it kind of starts there with a lot of women and if they don't push themselves into something new with their life and grow, you know, grow themselves emotionally and uh, spiritually in their life that it, you know, just maybe kind of goes down the wrong side, you know, and does, they can't really climb out of the hole. Um, Definitely. That's actually, a, you get yeah. the energy drain, you get the mm-hmm. hormone decline, which, you know, just sort of narrows your world, you know, right. and then it's really sort of hard to break out of it. So I spend actually probably, I spend probably 30% of my time uh, talking about um, women's health or women's issues. Mm-hmm. Must and, be interesting. I mean, I can see how it's, you know, kind of the, like you said, it's sort of the Petri dish for you and you can talk to people and find out what they're, you know, what their real issues are and, and how they feel about themselves and their bodies and things that they're experiencing. And I'm sure that's going to be really helpful to you guys as you develop other products and, you know, or license or go out and license products or however you're going to build your brand further um, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. diving in into the people who are going to be your customers. That's right. So I spent a lot of time, I would say, on that. Somehow, like, communicating with um, influencers, customers, 
uh, you know, just kind of like, you know, our demographic, my demographic. And, um, and so I, I definitely think it's, it's like almost a third of my time. Yeah. Then I would say um, another third of my time is on sort of uh, execution of big, big picture kind of strategies, you know, so uh, U.S. launch, um, mm-hmm. you know, very soon we'll start actually planning, you know, a global launch. We're planning a Series A financing. We actually have a digital health platform that we're also developing. And, you know, so these are like sort of big picture, you know, big strategic projects. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. take, take up about 30% of my time. Yeah, I, I bet. And it also must be really fun, I mean, just to be able to think, to have the time, you know, to think about your global expansion and what the next levels of the business are and what will make it, you know, what will make you more of a hub because that's what it, you know, it sounds like you guys, if I understand correctly, you guys want to be the hub of menopause, right? People come to you for whether it's to buy a product, get advice, you know, learn about something in the medical field about it or, you know, right. even learn learn about sex after 70 or something or whatever. You That's guys, right, yeah. You know, whatever, whatever different special, you know, areas of your site that you'll develop and, um, you know, and turn into, yeah, so that you guys become this hub of, of a place where everybody comes for, um, for whatever they need about, you know, growing older and, and living a happy life and feeling good and, you know, feeling loved and being able to experience all the things that you want to experience in your life. Um, That's right. So, I would yeah. Say, yeah, well, you know, I actually, I do believe it's really important for all, like, founders and entrepreneurs to be spending quite a bit of time on that because it actually does focus the rest of your time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I'd say that the sort of remaining 30% is just sort of like operational, whether it's operational and marketing or regulatory. I do a lot of the regulatory analysis in our, our company, uh, you know, uh, uh, technical sort of, you know, technical uh, promotional planning we're doing, you know, with the retailers or, or sales management, sales account management. I do a little bit of that. So just like the rest of the 30% is, you know, on the operations, you know, administration, mm-hmm. of course, everyone, we all do paperwork, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, yes, so we do. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sadly, but it happens. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I mean, I don't know, I, I always kind of enjoyed that because you, you get to stay in touch with all the different aspects of your business. You know, you're not just, you know, never looking at a piece of paper and then getting a report from somebody, you know, once a week and you're just like, what, you know, or, you know, really, you know, it depends, you know, whether things are going up or down, you know, you're, but as you're doing it yourself, you're being, you're like, you're, I don't know. I always found that you're able, for me, it made it easier to digest and kind of stay in touch with the way my businesses were flowing, you know, mm-hmm. that you can see, you know, kind of how it's all coming together rather than just like, oh, you know, you sold X number of dollars this week. And you're just like, great, rock on. But you have no idea where it came from. You know, it always made me feel kind of distant, you know, from what was really happening. You know, is it coming from online? Is it coming from stores? You know, which sales reps are producing the money? You know, um, I always like to know all of that stuff. So I always found it for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. And then I'd say probably the area that I... Um, I sort of like trail behind the most, um, although I've just hired someone to help me as our new head of marketing on this is um, digital marketing, you mm-hmm. know, because we started out in the retail space and, um, you know, it's like a bricks and mortar kind of sale, right? Mm-hmm. Once you're, and once you're on the pharmacy shelf, not necessarily every product, but, you know, because our product has a, a large market, um, you know, that can use it and should use it. You know, um, we had turnover that hit all the hurdle rates without a ton of advertising. Mm-hmm. And so we never kind of really got into the groove of advertising and doing digital marketing. But we are, uh, we are changing that. Um, Google actually did approach us 
as a um, fast-growing company. So now we have a strategic partnership with Google. And, wow. um, and so, yeah, they're, they have a beta program in which they work with 40 companies a year. And we were one of the 40 fast-growing small-size companies. And so they give us the services they normally give their top 1% of advertisers. Oh. So, yeah, so it was, um, you know, so we're definitely, you know, climbing the learning curve and changing our internal practices and infrastructure for, you know, for better digital marketing. But I would say that's kind of the area where, you know, as a company, we just, you know, had to not spend very, spent very much time at all. Mm-hmm. And wow. we changed that about, I guess, November when, um, when we launched an online shop, we were probably like the last group, like the last business to launch an online shop. <laughs> no, we were there's others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, you know, so we launched an online shop just so we could get actually, uh, we could get, you know, um, information, you know, um, mm. about our customers. Right. Sure. Right? Because we had no idea who was buying and, you know, and so where from where and so forth. So, so that's already, in some ways, you know, changing our company. But uh, right. there is a lot going on. Um, you know, it's been about it's been about um, twenty months, maybe eighteen months since I quit my job, mm-hmm. and it's been about two years since we launched. Um, I guess it going yeah, it's been about two years. Um, you know, since we two and a half years since we launched in Canada. And um, so right now what we're tackling, obviously, is the U.S. launch. Right, of course. That's so great. Well, congratulations on all of this. It's so awesome. I just want to thank you for spending such a long time with me today. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And I can't wait to do a follow-up call to see how all the U.S. launch goes. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and we will all thanks, be looking thanks, out. Uh, thanks. Yeah. To Lizzie Shaw, we've got some amazing PR coming down the pipeline, yeah. and I'll be uh, I'll be really excited to update you on that. Yeah, I can't wait to hear all about it. So we will all be looking out in our local pharmacy for your products, and um, thank you so much. And I look forward to our next call. Thank you, Sarah. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to a Street Smart MBA with Sarah Shaw. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime, anywhere. And we'll see you on the next one.